filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. new era of social distancing um the charter school parking lot around the corner from my house has become kind of a de facto uh community center i guess uh it's it's big enough for a few families to be out there riding bikes or or kicking a soccer ball around without coming in too close of contact you just have to kind of yell at the kids, especially the little ones to, to keep their distance from, from other people. Um, and they can get air and, and run around and, and all that. And it's, it's good. And, uh, we've been out there a couple of times. My five-year-old's been on her balance bike, um, and, and is getting pretty good at it cause we don't have a lot else to do. Uh, but my two-year-old, uh, he, he, we'll take the scooter over and use it for a minute, but then he wants to run around. So I've been bringing a soccer ball with me. And the first time I took him over there, I, you know, kicked the ball to him and he bends over to pick it up. And I'm like, no hands, no hands. And he just yells, I Hamid. <laughs> and picks it up I mean, and yeah. then, then throws the ball and runs and dribbles it and dribbles it right between two parking stops and into the, the French drain around the perimeter of it and starts yelling, Hamid wins. Hamid wins. So he's a sweeper keeper. Yeah, he's he's very much. Uh, th- this is a little preview of a topic we're going to cover later in the show. But he he's Bill Hamid, but in the mold of Louis Creighton. Um, and he's he's already got a very strongly developed sense of his goalkeeper self, which which you know I I can I can get with that. I approve. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and uh, socially distant toddler goalkeeper podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We talk about DC United, not that there's much of that to talk about at this particular moment, uh, but we soldier on nonetheless. Tonight, we are going to talk about DC United a little bit, talk about some other things, see where the show goes. Uh, before we get to anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, the answer to that is pretty straightforward. It's just Patron Silver uh, Neat. Um, but I do have a little bit of a story about a drink adventure I went on yesterday. Uh, I went into the freezer. Uh, I've been putting off my grocery trips. I'm trying to reduce them to as few as possible. Uh and so I've been trying to consume some of the stuff that is just around the house. Um, in the freezer, there's one of these um, frozen drink packs that you can buy at the liquor store. They're usually like oh. two fifty or three bucks. They're one of those. Um, so I was like, uh, you know, how bad can this thing be, right? Um, and I'm not 100% sure when I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm not even sure where I accumulated this. I know I didn't buy it, but I don't know where it came from. Um, so I'm like, Oh sure. So did you look at the sell by date? There isn't one that I could tell. I couldn't, if if there is one, I couldn't find it. Um, so the label of it, it shows a photo. It says parrot Bay and it shows a photo of what looks to be a frozen margarita, the classic lime green, color of a frozen margarita that we've all seen at any number of Mexican restaurants or other purveyors of frozen margaritas. So in my head, I'm already like the photo has told me what I'm supposed to get. Like it's a a frozen margarita in one of these bags. I just have to bust it up, which was hard. Some of it was very thoroughly frozen and resistant to being broken up, which should have been a sign right then and there that I should stop. But I kept going. Um, I saw the word mango on there. I was like, all right, it's a mango margarita. Okay, fine. So I opened it up and I could have poured it into a glass, but I'm like, I'll drink it out of the pouch. That's kind of fun. When do you get to drink it? as an adult? How often do you get to drink out of a pouch of anything? Um, you have there's like a box wine. 
Yeah, I suppose you can you can drink straight out of the pouch of boxed wine, um, which uh, you know if times get tough. Or, or what, what do you call the boxed wine version of a keg stand? Uh, well, one of my friends used to do a thing called slapping the bag, in which <laughs> um, they would bring a box. This was an RFK parking lot thing uh, a few times. Um, he would bring. Uh, I now I'm a story within a story, but oh well. Um, he would bring a box of Franzia with him and he would remove the cardboard. So you just had the bag with the spout. And the idea was that you had to drink as you had to put the spout to your mouth and drink as much wine as you could, uh, in one gulp. And then, uh, when you were done, you shut the spout and then you slapped the bag and you passed it to the next person. Um, so definitely I, don't do that now because that yeah. bag will be full of coronavirus and nothing else. I had friends who did something uh, very similar in college, except they called it uh, suckling the udder. Okay. That well, that's seems way more worse. gentle. The, <laughs> it's it's creepier, creepier and yet less violent, I guess, the, the slapping of the bag. Uh, I never really understood why you had to slap the bag. It didn't make sense to me. You could just pat, like, I mean, passing. Do you say you can put so much wine in this baby when you slap it, or...? You're just supposed to, everyone is like looking at you expectantly and you slap the bag and then d- that's it. You've met their expectations and there's not even really a cheer anyway. Um, <laughs> it's just the minimum allowable yes. standard. I didn't understand it. I'm not sure the people that invented this tradition understood it um, themselves, but they were going to keep doing it because they'd done it before. Uh, like many just of our traditions way. in society, uh, sometimes things just sick. Um, but anyway, so I'm drinking my pouch drink. And I'm, I'm, I take a sip of it and I'm like, oh, this isn't very good, but you know, it's a drink. That was my first impression. But also <laughs> then I started thinking about it. I was like, this doesn't taste like a margarita at all. It, it tastes like someone made a margarita, but they couldn't tell tequila from vodka. And so they made a vodka margarita is what it tasted like. Um, so when I look at the pouch again and it's a uh, mango daiquiri ah. is what it's supposed to be. Not a margarita. The photo is definitely, though, of a margarita, but the words say mango daiquiri. And in the background, there's like a smaller daiquiri. And instead of having like the photo change for what genre of drink this is supposed to approximate, they just left the, they're like, the margarita is fine. It tells people what it's, they're getting is frozen. And I'm like, well, no, I understand it's frozen. You told me it's a margarita visually. You tricked me. Um, even though the, the words oh. are there and the, the words saying what I was going to get were present. Um, so you had a m- mango, not a margarita. Correct. A mango daiquiri is what this was claiming itself to be. And each sip progressively was worse. Um, the flavors were less good. Um, it was somehow uh, both boozy and yet not strong. It was a it was allegedly a five percent uh, ABV uh, uh, malt beverage, um, technically classed as a malt beverage, uh, and yet it tasted like it was a it was a drink that was too strong flavor wise. Um, I don't know how you pull that off, but they were doing it. Um, yeah, it sucked uh, in the end. Uh, I, I continued <laughs> drinking it, but every sip was just like, "No, this is bad. No, this is worse. It's real bad. I hate this." Um, so yeah, uh, the folks at Parrot Bay with your, uh, misleading photos, uh, and your bad drinks, uh, I'm not a fan. What if Something... they gave us some sponsorship dollars? Uh, send me the margarita only and maybe I'll reconsider <laughs> my opinion. Don't send me the daiquiri though. I would, I'm so, I, I eventually poured it into a glass by the way. And it was like this weird orange Gatorade color. It did not help. Oh, I thought wait. pouring in the glass might make it make it wow. you know maybe better. It would look more tropical. I don't know what I was hoping for, but it definitely was worse once I had to see it. If you'd come and stolen something out of my larder, you probably would have gotten something better. Uh, we shouldn't be stealing <laughs> from each other now. If if ever, we should be isolated. Very true. So that's what it takes to stop Jason from stealing from Ben. Uh, there's also that I've never been to Ben's house. Uh, or anything much less theft the the listeners can't see me winking at you in in understanding I don't know how to get to ben's house i would i could get like within probably five miles of ben's house and then it would be a lot of guesswork um 
probably going to go wrong for me at that point. Uh, if, if what I know about Ben's County is accurate, probably ends with me dead. It's uh, pretty big. Not, not by a homeowner uh, who has guns. I don't want that. It's about, it's about right for my county. So, ben, what, what are you drinking in your, your gun-toting county there? Uh, I am uh, just drinking a whiskey sour because in these times, there's I don't have a lot of ingredients, and but I do have simple syrup and lime juice and whiskey and a dash of bitters. I know bitters don't really go in a whiskey sour, but I decided to spice it up anyways. Uh, So yeah, just a whiskey sour with Evan Williams that Jason didn't steal. Uh, He left me some. And so this is what I decided to do with it. Uh, So what brand of simple syrup is that? Brand of simple syrup? Uh, uh, Ben Bromley (laughs) brand. (laughs) There you go. By Bromley. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Bromley Co. The, the large conglomerate that runs By, uh, Zombocom. <laughs> uh, old, old internet. Uh, I am drinking a, a Merlot. My neighbor um, decided to go deliver wine bottles to people today um, just to bring a little bit of joy in the world. And we opened our bottle of decoy California Merlot and it's perfectly cromulent Merlot. I'm not usually a big fan of merlot by itself i like it better in a blend uh but it this is perfectly nice um i mean i don't have any yeah and it was free and it makes me think of my my very kind neighbor and and his wonderful girlfriend and they are great and they gave me wine so i'm very happy about it let's get to the show proper i guess um First segment today is based on something Jason wrote about in Freedom Kicks today. That's um, for anyone who listens to this podcast but isn't a regular reader of Black and Red United. That is uh, the daily link roundup and whatever the writer wants to talk about and open thread. Um, and today, Jason told a story that reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about on this podcast for a while now. So uh, we're, we're going with it and. I don't know, Jason, do you want more introduction or do you want to take it over? Uh, I mean, I I guess I can just explain my little um, writing. It is what led me to uh, throw it out there to the world um, as far as getting everyone else's thoughts on it. But uh, it's, it's the idea of when you go from being interested in DC United to being like maybe too interested, um, as I put it today, um, you know, I was asking people for the moment that they uh, went from being a fan of the team to someone that was still reading the site on day, whatever number this is of uh, no soccer and quarantine and all that stuff. If you're still around for that, then you're clearly uh, you've clearly taken a step beyond normal fandom. And so that's kind of what I was looking for is where people made that step. Um, for me, it was 2002. Um, that whole season, that experience that season was, uh, DC was bad. Um, they finished dead last. Uh, they were the lowest scoring team in the league. So it wasn't even a fun last. It was just a real miserable last, um, from start to finish pretty much. Um, but that was the year I was also going to, uh, the first year I was really going to a bunch of away games, um, went up to, uh, giant stadium, uh, Gillette Stadium, Cruz Stadium, um, driving in. Uh, well, for some of that year, I was driving my uh, first car, which was an extremely beat up uh, n- 1986 uh, BMW. Um, and then when that car no was no more, I was driving a different beat up uh, <laughs> Honda Civic um, to, to those far flung places, uh, not staying over, just drive, drive all day, get there, watch the game, and then drive back, um, doing that kind of thing. Um, and that was, that was the season that sort of solidified, uh, the level of, um, interest being where it is. Um, even though that season itself was one that should have told me, don't do this. Uh, don't commit more of your mental and emotional resources to this. Instead, I said, no, thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to make a physical commitment, including like losing entire days of my life based on driving up to see, DC lose to the Rebs or what have you. Um, 
So yeah, that was a uh, that was it for me. Was that getting through that uh, extraordinarily bad season? Um, but uh, I feel like uh, you guys are going to have some different stories, and I hope that the people listening also have their own because, uh, or I hope it's different because I, and maybe better than mine because mine was definitely a like, boy, I'm still doing this, aren't I? Mm, well, I, <laughs> I should reconsider. Uh, mine also it. Is it comes from a very harrowing season, um, because mine comes from the 2010 season, and uh, I had been a, a viewer from afar of DC United. Uh, being from Ohio, we uh decided to take a trip to uh DC as our school trip in eighth grade, and part of that was going to a DC United game. Uh, in it was a game against the New England Revolution in April of 2000, uh, and we were just little eighth grade assholes from Ohio who were cheering for the Revs because we just wanted to cheer against the home team. Uh, but I remember it was April of 2000, uh, and then I distinctly remember watching some of Freddie Adu's games in 2004 uh, because that was Freddie Adu. That's what you did, but. I really came to DC United and really became a fan at the beginning of 2010. And I think when I knew it was more than just me picking a team and me following it is when I got really invested in Brandon Barklage versus Andy Nahar for a starter at the beginning of the 2010 season. And then after the first game, I was like, what was I thinking? What am I doing? (laughs) And especially like, Andy Nahar is so much better than Brandon Barklage. So, yeah, that, that's what did it to me. And it just the whole 2010 season, just it was obviously awful from an on the field perspective, but it, it bought me in for some reason, just the, the, the terribleness of that season, but also the seeds of hope with Andy Nahar, with Bill Hamid, with Benny Olsen. And I've been here ever since. um for me it wasn't a season like i can pin it down to the the game and the result and i i have a theory uh, a hypothesis i guess because i don't have a lot of testing behind it that um for a lot of people it's going to be a negative game or season or or something that makes it because that's that's when you realize like the hurt of it or or the the realization that you're you're doing something that makes no sense um is usually when something not positive happens. For me, it was uh, DC United getting knocked out of the 2007 playoffs um, that that did it. Uh, it was a supporter shield winning season, um, and it was it was my first full season following the team. I'd gone to my first game. I moved to DC in the fall of of 06 and went to my first game. I think, uh, or at least watched my first game uh, that that fall and then started going to games early in, in 2007, right after Luciano Emilio arrived. And this team was just, it was a spectacular team to watch and then you get to the playoffs and the first round, it was, it was a very strange setup, even by MLS standards where the, the top two teams from each conference were locked in the playoffs. And then the next four teams, regardless of conference got in and if five teams from one conference happened to be in the the last last ranked team, so the the fifth place team would just switch conferences for the playoffs, and that is the system that got the New York Red Bulls into MLS Cup as the Western Conference champions, and RSL into MLS Cup as the Eastern Conference champions. In this case, Kansas City was the fifth place team in the East, and they switched over to the West, which actually makes some geographic sense. Uh, but that meant that DC United played the Chicago Fire, two leg aggregate goals. Uh, I don't think they had away goals at this point. Um, that that was not a tiebreaker. So if it was tied after 180 minutes, it just went into extra time. DC United was the top seed. They had the home game. Uh, they were home in the second leg. They went to Chicago, and um, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Emilio and Moreno were both hurt for this series. Yeah, for, uh, for the first leg, both of them were completely unavailable. And in the second leg, Emilio played, but was clearly he had sprained his ankle in like the second to last game of the season. So he was like two weeks into a four week recovery. 
Um, also, he, he sprained his ankle because of the Washington Nationals, who uh, I hate. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they they were just in like their third year at RFK at that point. Yeah. Um, I think they're la- – wasn't that the last year before they moved out? I think it, it might have been. Wasn't it, um, wasn't it 2007? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Emilio played the second leg, but he could barely move. Um, yeah. He was trying his best, but, you know. So DC United uh, lost the first leg one nothing. Not the worst situation to be in coming home, uh, especially with the team that was as as prolific as they were. Um, they they get back and within like minutes of each other, um, Chicago scores two goals in the first half, and the game seems like it's over. Uh, I had brought some friends of mine from from law school along to uh, to watch this game, and we'd actually. Um, for whatever reason I had in my head that DC United, I think it's because the Nats did. Uh, but I, I got in my head that you were allowed to bring in factory sealed bottles of, of uh. water or soda. Uh, and that was definitely not the case. And so uh, some friends of mine and I had got some liters of Sprite and dumped half of it out and filled it back up with vodka uh, like you do when you're a student and then sealed it and lined up the print on the, the little ring that's left when you take the cap off to make it look factory sealed. Tried to take it in. They said, you can't bring that in here. Uh, we said, okay. And then we just like six of us chugged them outside uh, gate B. Cause you're not throwing them away. No, like you right. paid for them. You, you need, you need that stuff. You, you got it. So you can consume it. It has to, you need that cool, totally. cool, refreshing Sprite. Yeah. Um, our, our, uh, dehydrating Sprite is what we needed. Happy Sprites. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we downed those and then went in and had a grand old time. Uh, DC United scored two goals in the second half. Uh, after the second one, uh, a friend of mine had, uh, it was actually my friend who took me to my first DC United game. Um, a guy named Chris, he, he was in this group and he, uh, had gone to get beers and, brought one back for, for me or, and one for another friend. Uh, but he, he actually knows it, it was someone else. It was, it was another friend, Erica, who had gotten beers and brought me mine and asked Chris if he wanted to have some of hers because she wasn't going to finish it. And as soon as she hands it to him, DC United scores. And we were just adjacent to the Barra Brava at the time. Chris and I make eye contact and just throw our drinks back to get it down to a quarter full or less so that we could throw that and not waste a full beer. But uh, we did that and we're celebrating. And then 30 seconds later, Chris just stops and makes a hard turn to Eric and said, Oh my God, that was your beer. And uh, had to run up and try to beat last call uh, to, to get a replacement for her. But at the end of the game, uh, Christian Gomez looked like he had scored the the series tying goal, uh, and and everything went crazy. I, it was it was amazing. It was pandemonium. It got called back because he had handled the ball. On we were all livid in the stands, of course. Um, but uh, the, you get home and watch post, the replay. It was the right call. Yeah, the the post had a great photo of it. It was actually now I'm thinking about it a lot like the um, Roman Torres handball in our last actual game to talk yeah. about. In that, yeah. From the stands, if you were not in that part of the the field, you would not have known and would have thought that this was just uh, terrible refereeing. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the ref actually got it right on the field in that instance. Um, It was called back and DC United were eliminated. Uh, Rod Diachenko, name I haven't heard in a very long time, got got a red card in stoppage time. And uh, that was it. Pretty much right after pretty much right after the handball. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure he was yelling at the ref and got himself sent off for no, that. It, I don't was know it, it was, it was a tackle. It was a tackle. Okay. It was always a tackle. He was, it was a tackle in the box. Like there was a loose ball that he was trying to dive in to keep alive basically and prevent a clearance. Um, because, you know, in stoppage time at that point, preventing a clearance is like pretty much, if they clear the ball, you're losing most of your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he dove in like two footed and just, you know, butchered whoever it was. Um, it was one of those. I was like, "Yeah, that's he's gonna get, he's gonna get sent off for that." Mid on, um, nonetheless, yeah. that that was gonna get sent off. So, so I pulled up. I wanted to find out if the away goals rule was in effect. It was not. Um, 
But by pulling that up uh, quickly, I have discovered several things about 2007 that I think people are going to be interested in. Uh, One, the runner-up for the Supporter Shield that year by just two points off of DC United was Chivas USA. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. They used yeah. to be, they were, they were okay was, for a couple of years. There was a stretch of time where, where Chivas USA under Bradley and Precky uh, yep. was a genuinely competitive team. Um, and the and it, two it, of the, go ahead. It's wild that Precky was the, like Bradley has this reputation as a pragmatic manager that he's somewhat shedding with LAFC, but Precky was super pragmatic. He was uh, 10 guys behind the ball and let a superstar fix it for you kind of manager to a certain extent yeah um chivas usa never had very talented rosters except there's that brief spell where they had juan pablo in hell but it was after he was already on the decline um mm-hmm. they never had that great of a team um so i can kind of understand why he would approach games the way he did um the other thing that i noticed was that two of the three goals chicago scored in this series were by chris rolf yep all beans yeah, this is why Pretty when he headband. came to DC, it was like, well, at least he's not going to score on us anymore. Um, yeah. That's kind of where the legend for that legend began was uh, the first. The I remember specifically the goal he scored in the first leg um, was an excellent goal. It was a goal where it was like, there's not really much you can do about that. That's just a really difficult shot from outside the box. Um, but that's what Chris Roth did. He scored a bunch of those that it was like, well, that was just that guy's good, I guess. Yeah. Chris Roth, good player. Um, breaking news there. <laughs> um, the the after, other goal was scored by Chad Barrett. Not not <laughs> quite as good. No, not as good as Chris Roth. Um, be on his tombstone at some point in the future. <laughs> Played professional soccer, was not as good as Chris Roth. It's not the best epitaph. But um, after after that game, DC United uh, won the game two to one or. No, tied the game two to two, lost the series two to three. Um, like I was, I was still weirdly, like I was gutted more than I realized, but also weirdly jubilant about the team and the experience. And I was just like on this high of being in a a full stadium and and rocking out. Um, not not that RFK was completely full. The lower bowl was. Uh, certainly uh, 19,000 something fans. So yeah, the lower bowl was effectively sold out. Yeah. And that was back when they would still open the upper deck for even just a few hundred fans overflowing up there. Um, but, uh, just, I, I realized at that point, like I, th- this is part of me now, this loss has confirmed, like, this is not just a passing interest or something fleeting. This is, this is something. And, 13 years later, here we are during a pandemic talking about DC United. So uh, I was right on that night. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Adam, I think your hypothesis is probably correct in that. Like, I, I feel like it's one of those things where you have to sort of surpass some sort of obstacle to realize that you really are going to stick this thing out. Um, be it a season that just screams, find something else to do or like a, a playoff loss, uh, things like that. Um, it's it's not going to be you know oh we lost a regular season game that's gonna it's going to be something significant like me and Ben both have like w- two of the worst seasons not just in team history but in MLS history to look back on um, and any team that has a playoff loss those are uh, especially a loss at home with a goal that late in the game getting called back that's like a particularly traumatic thing um, I th- I think you're right that it's mostly going to be people being like. Yeah, I went to see, you know, I I drove to um another one for me uh going to uh see DC lose to the Kickers in the Open Cup in 2004 <laughs> before it, before Christian Gomez arrived, like that team hadn't really turned it around and made it clear that they were going to be really really good. Um that's another one where it was like uh I I distinctly remember I I mean I already knew at this point that it was going to be like this, but driving home from that loss and being stuck in traffic outside of Woodbridge at like 1 a.m. Um, and just being stuck in a traffic jam. Woodbridge. Like, like this is, this is really, this is really it, isn't it? Um, what well, if we want to talk about, it's going to be happening. 
Uh, if you want to talk about uh, ceiling losses, I, I think yeah. we can all rem- all uh, commiserate over uh, the 2011 loss, the uh, Joseph Nguyenia game against the Timbers, where oh, yeah. they had, I think, uh, and this was the first time that for me that DC United had the chance to make the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I think they had, in those last 10 minutes, 70,000 shots on goal. <laughs> more, more or less. Yeah. Um, and just the sitter that Joseph and Gwenny just completely missed that could have sent them yeah, into he, the playoffs. He, he got his foot on the ball. That's the worst yeah, thing. It's just that exactly. he got like the side of his foot onto the top of the ball and was swiping across. So he just sort of rolled it uh, parallel to the goal line rather than but from, forward the, and from the top of the six. Oh, closer, closer inside, inside the six, um, like three yards. Yeah, but but that was yeah that was a game in which both teams uh managed to just produce endless numbers of shots cuz both teams had to win um yeah they were that both was full on drunk soccer is what it was yeah and so uh we just got this Man. absolute mayhem uh afterwards uh I, if 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 we could that would be a great game to rewatch painfully but <laughs> that's such an insane game Oh yeah. yeah. The thing is it wasn't all that insane until like the 79th right, or 80th yeah. minute. And then it just became utter nonsense for, from that, from that point on. Um, yeah, I, I ugh, that one was <laughs> unreal. One, like I looked back yeah. on it recently. Um, I was looking, I was trying to refer to it for something. So I was trying to search for um, recaps of it. And the, I think the post recap um, kind of summed up the mood where, uh, just no one, no one that was involved in it as a coach or a player knew how to react other than that. They knew it was bad because they didn't get the win they needed, but also it was just like, how did we create that many chances and not score? Like, how does that occur? How how could this be? Um, which, uh, you know, having witnessed it in person, I also, uh, felt, how could this be? <laughs> uh, if two teams create this many chances, you would expect them to score like three or four goals. Uh, not none, not zero. Uh, and what was the, what was the year that we beat, uh, RSL like five to three or whatever after being oh, down three to one, uh, that was that like was the opposite a, where, where that instead was of 15, that sounds right. Instead of I a million so. chances, it was just all kinds of bangers. Like Taylor Kemp scored one from 30 yards. <laughs> uh, right. yeah, that was on a uh, first time shot. It was, <laughs> Him and Delion both had extremely long, good long range goals in that game. Yeah, was, um, was Nicky's left footed too? Uh, like I think his might have been a left footed curler. It might have been. He, yeah, um, he had a couple of bangers that year. Uh, they, so, they were his only goals, but he had a couple of bangers. So that that game that was six four. Um, not, not even five, not even a modest five three, but a six four. <laughs> um, but what really kind of adds to that game's lunacy was that um so that was august 1st and july 26th uh was a 3-2 game against philadelphia in which dc gave up a goal in the first minute and the fourth minute and then came back to win uh and then so they do that they win 3-2 it's not even a full week later they play rsl they give up a goal in the second minute and then in the 21st minute and then they come back to win 6-4 um yeah i don't understand uh how how a thing like that could happen two weeks in a row i remember trying to like digest it and write about it and i was like this is this doesn't make sense like how do you grapple with something that just doesn't make any sense um it's you know if you like you've walked outside and gravity no longer worked anymore it's like oh gravity doesn't work now okay okay, great well we're gonna grapple with that a little bit uh (laughs) during this break Stick around. We'll be right back. This is filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben. In the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. 
That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the Ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster. Uh, before we get into the topic of the second segment, I want to commend you all to a fundraiser that DC United players have organized. It's uh, it's for Martha's Table, which is a, a great group here uh, in DC that uh, provides food and opportunity and education for families. Um, and in some DC United players and staff organized a, uh, a fundraiser for them during this time, which uh, obviously a lot of people are finding themselves out of work through no fault of their own and, and they need food to eat and they need to make ends meet. So uh, Martha's table is stepping up and DC United also stepping up. They have already raised $7,400 um, very, very quickly. So um it's it's pretty pretty great. So check out uh, Black and Red United's Twitter page. We have retweeted Rory Moyeda's uh, tweet about it. That's twitter.com slash Black and Red U. Um, Julian Gressel, I think, is one of the organizers. If you follow him on Twitter, uh, he's also shared the link. Uh, so there's I there's think, a lot of places to find. I think it, a few but, of them. I think a few of the players have. I know Felipe did. Um, I want to say a couple other players have as well during the day. Chris Seitz. Um, so yeah, pretty much if you follow any of the team on Twitter, you'll be able to find it um, if you're looking for it. I think we're going to have it on um, tomorrow's Freedom Kicks. So if you're listening to this when you do, because you can't listen to it right after we're done, because it won't exist yet for you, unless you go to Stop Ben's house. Stop hacking my computer. Don't hack Stop his computer. My, don't right steal now my you're not allowed into Ben's house um, because you don't live there. Um, unless you do live there. You know, there. that's pretty rich coming from you, Jason. Well, see, this is the thing. Uh, I think my conduct and my words both outline the fact that I haven't been to Ben's house with or without his permission. Uh, at no point uh, have I something, something protest Ben's much. domicile. Lily is just going to hack my computer and post this uh, right. before I can <laughs> before I can edit it. But either anyway, way, we'll, it, we'll, it'll be out there on the site as well if if you need to find it that way. So it, it should be easy for you to find. But Martha's Table, great charity, um, definitely worth supporting. And and we, if you if you have dollars to spare, uh, they're they're a good place to share them with people who who really need them right now. Um, moving on to the topic of this second segment, and uh, without much else to talk to related to DC or to talk about related to DC United, we're going to start going through position by position. And whenever we get to it, we get to it and talking about our favorite players at each spot on the field. And as is tradition, we start at the back today. We're and talking favorite, about not best. Yes. Favorite players, not best players. Um, but today it's goalkeepers. And that's what we're talking about. DC United has had some pretty good ones throughout the years, some pretty eccentric ones. Um, and we're, we're going to go through and, and talk about them. Ben, this was was your pitch as a topic. So I will turn the metaphorical floor over to you. I mean, the easy one is Bill Hamid because he's every current DC United fans favorite goalkeeper, I would assume. Including um, my two-year-old. Yes. So take everything we say from now on with the, Yes, it is Bill Hamid, but we're also going to talk about other people because, I mean, Bill Hamid's the best, and we all agree about that. So It wouldn't be a very good segment if we all just said Bill Hamid, Bill Hamid, Bill Hamid, and got out. <laughs> Although I'm right. sure we have listeners who would prefer that. Yeah. I know those so, people exist, and we love them, but hopefully they keep listening from here. So I'm going to start off with two goalkeepers who I like. I, I'm already violating rules about favorite, but I don't care. Uh 
I'm I'm going to start with Joe Willis. Just uh, a lot because of the Joe Willis face, the photograph that Pablo Maurer took. Uh, and if you haven't see it, seen it, uh, I think you can probably just Google Joe Willis face. It's him like angry looking, Joe Willis. Yes, it's It'll angry Joe Willis. Him just looking dead eye into the camera with uh, an angry looking face. And from all accounts, he is the sweetest guy. And he was just doing a goof and it became a meme. Uh, apparently he asked if he was allowed to like could he just do whatever face he wanted and they were like I-, I guess i mean no no one's really disrupted the headshot thing before with this sort of question normally it's it's just assumed that you'll give a normal face and he didn't want to do that he wanted to give uh, the angry joe willis face and no one said please don't do this and so that just became his headshot for the year yeah and also Yes. And also, I also love him because of uh, him subbing in in the uh, 2012 playoffs and uh, stoning Kenny Cooper on the retake of the penalty kick after uh, Bill Hamid had been sent off. Just all, everything about that sequ- uh, the, that whole like last 20, 30 minutes of that game is horrible and delightful and amazing and just him stoning Kenny Cooper on the retake is also just an amazing piece of goalkeeping. So I love him for that too. And then the other goalkeeper who I really like just because of hilarity is uh, Pat Onstad, old man, Pat Onstad coming off the coaching bench to play three games at the beginning of a season, just because DC United had nobody else. Yeah. The, the, uh, the injury crisis, uh, yes. everyone was, was injured or was recovering from injury and wasn't quite ready to play. And so Pat Onstead went from retired to not retired. <laughs> he had just retired at the end of the last season. Yeah. Uh, he played okay. So, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was wild, but he, he strengthened the, the weird connection that the Houston Dynamo and DC United had between players. Um, Joe Willis is also one of those players. It turned out uh, later, but Bobby Boswell, D row. I'm sure there are more, but uh, those are the ones that come to mind first. Um, so yes, Ben's disclaimer at the beginning, Bill Hamid is, is everyone's favorite. And I think that's correct. Um, Bill Hamid's only trophy with DC United is US Open Cup, and and so is this next player I'm going to mention. It's someone Ben mentioned in the last segment, and that's Louis Creighton, who was insane. <laughs> um, and and goalkeepers should be at least a little bit insane. Um, and and Creighton he he was a sweeper keeper in a system that did not call for or want a sweeper keeper. And it was just such a weird thing. Like he's, he's a character from a sports movie and watching his joy, lifting the open cup at RFK in uh, God, what year was that even? Um, they, they, who'd they beat too? Was that the Riverhounds or the battery or anyway, Charleston battery. So that was 2008, 2008. They, yeah, they beat yeah. the Charleston battery at RFK and he's just like, on someone's shoulders holding up the trophy is this image in my mind. And um, just, he was all over the place that year. He was, he was the definition of an adventure in goal. Um, he was a Swiss guy who, who made no sense. His existence in MLS made no sense. He was an international goalkeeper who did not play the, the position in any traditional way. And just, he, he would make, have howlers and then also dribble up and like spring an attack that made no sense. He was, he was so weird and fun to watch. Um, and then the opposite end of, I, I guess the flip side of that coin, uh, a, a guy who lost the open cup the next year with DC United because he was insane in a different way is Josh Wicks. Um, not my favorite player, but, uh, he, he kicked Freddie Montero and got himself sent off in that open cup final. Um, I think Montero had goaded him into it, but that's still not an excuse to kick a player. Um, and, and Josh Wicks did it anyway. He just, he, he lost his mind a few times that season and went on to play in Europe because that's how things work sometimes in Finland. 
Yeah, I think I think <laughs> which, he played in Finland Europe. long enough. Well, I think he played in Finland long enough that he like met someone and was getting married and all that stuff. Um, good for him. I think that was the last Honestly. the last I I heard about that was uh yeah he basically found his life in Finland um because that's how things go in soccer I guess yeah. met someone who like Louis Creighton's a a character from a sports comedy like a children's movie about sports. Um, most of which are about baseball, but you could do a soccer one. Come on. Um, and, and Josh Wicks is a much different movie. Like I'm glad that he, he figured himself out eventually. Jason. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think to the, you know, in the early days, a lot of DC United goalkeeping was pretty uh, kind of unremarkable. Um, they didn't have, uh, national team goalkeepers until Nick Ramondo came to town. Um, they always had someone who was solid, no reasonable goalkeeper, nothing flashy, no, you know, crazy uh, adventures with the ball. No one that was trying to do too much. I think that was definitely a, a Bruce arena hallmark was that he wasn't looking for a goalkeeper that was kind of out there. He wanted someone who was going to be very much about the basics. Um, so not Louis so Creighton. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely that would have made, I don't know how Bruce would have reacted to, um, <laughs> the, the Creighton way of doing things. Um, I remember when Creighton arrived that he had come from FC Basel and they had been like, I think they had made the champions league the year before that. And my expectation was for a very solid, uh, fundamentally sound goalkeeper and when Creighton arrived and he was both like capable of doing something awesome, but also maybe he was going to try and dribble a defender. Um, it was like, this is not, this is not what I thought we were getting at all. This is like the opposite. Um, not just willing to dribble a defender, willing to dribble a defender with three good, easy passing options available to him. Yeah. And like kind of hoping to get to dribble a defender, um, like kind of looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess the first really remarkable goalkeeper the team ever had was Nick Romando. Um, and in lieu of any specific Romando play, um, one of my favorite Romando moments I mentioned in the first segment, um, the open cup game where DC lost, uh, at the kickers, um, halftime of that game. Um, I want to say it was halftime of that game. It might be, I might be mashing two. I think I am mashing two, um, two kickers open cup games into one. Um, I think it was the next year. Um, so DC went down there again and the, the team had, you know, swapped out most of their starters as you do in the early rounds of the open cup. And at halftime, um, most of the team went off to the lockers, but, uh, Nick Romando and Santino Quaranta stayed out um, to just sort of kick a ball around. And at some point in their first couple of minutes of passing, it it morphed from two guys passing the ball back and forth to uh, Romando had convinced Quaranta to go out to the wing and fire in a cross. And Romando was going to volley it on goal into the empty net, um, which is not a normal warm up already um, for two <laughs> players who aren't necessarily supposed to come into the game. Um, so this was happening in front of the traveling DC fans in the corner, um, where actually very close to where, um, Richmond supporters groups, uh, now reside. Um, and so Coranta gets the ball and he fires in the first cross and Romando tracks it through the air and, and really connects with a lot of power on his volley, but he sends it like 10 feet over the goal. <laughs> and immediately the fans begin chanting, uh, uh, that he's Chris Albright. Uh, like, I think it was, are you Chris Albright in disguise? Um, because poor Chris Albright uh, could not score a goal to save his life when he played for DC. And uh, Romando <laughs> and Caranto both just doubled over with laughter um, at that. Um, because it really was a classic Chris Albright finish. It was all power uh, and also not on goal at all. Um but yeah, that was, I mean, that's kind of, that's Romando. I mean, the guy has kind of made a legend, uh, not just for his play, but also the off the field stuff, the, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe I should save this for when, uh, the next time we have Roach on, but, um, the, uh, 
the the contest they had with um uh trying to track him down with uh water guns um turned into a days long uh adventure with uh, him using doubles and doppelgangers to fool the uh the water gun people that were trying to track him down to shoot him to to win like a ball or something like i remember it not being a big prize um but that was the kind so, of thing that Romano was like i'll get into this fine i'll do it i'll let strangers try and shoot me with water guns looking into the future um we we're, we're planning to have roach on in the near future we're gonna bring this up because i need more details about this story okay yeah this was a good one uh this was a pretty spectacular this get this got the dc sports bug involved um it was a whole thing. Uh, all of it, I, I might be misremembering the prize, but the the saga of these people trying to shoot Nick Romando with a water gun uh, turned into like days and days of stuff happening. Um, it was, I mean, but that's the thing. Like another, another athlete could have been like, oh, I'll just hang out at my house and made it very boring. Um, and Romando made sure it wasn't boring. Uh, it was many things, but it was not boring. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's really where DC's goalkeepers got interesting basically was, was Romando who, um, had been just kind of like a flashy undersized goalkeeper with the fusion, uh, Miami fusion before, um, they folded. He didn't come here with Ray Hudson. He actually was picked in the, um, dispersal draft to disperse the players from those two teams of the fusion and, and the mutiny, um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, it was pretty wild, pretty much from start to finish with with Romano. I kind of I'm kind of bummed out that he never got to play as a field player for DC at any point because I know he would have liked to. I know he wanted to. Yeah, run he's up front. the goalkeeper always here. Like they, there's field players who want to have their chance in goal, and some of them like Mike McGee get it. Um, but <laughs> when you hear about goalkeepers who want to be field players, Nick Romano is always the first one, at least in in the American context that you hear about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Romando wanted the Jorge Campos treatment where um, back in back in the early days of MLS, Campos was actually, they would not sub him off. What they would do is they would make a sub by bringing in a goalkeeper for a field player. And while that sub was happening, Campos would run to the sideline, take off his goalkeeping jersey and shorts, and he would have a uniform on underneath. And they would hand him, they would hand him two socks that had the feet cut off and he would just slide them on his, over his goalkeeper socks and he would go play up front. Um, I don't recall him ever being particularly effective uh, as a forward in MLS, Um, but he He was an inverse Eddie Gavin. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But I, I remember it being like kind of a, an understood thing. He was like, no, I, this is, I'm not coming here if I don't get to do this at least a few times. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, MLS soccer's uh, stats page for compost only it shows goalkeeping stats. So there's not a line for goals. So I don't, I don't remember if he scored a goal uh, doing this or not, but he definitely did it. He definitely spent time as a forward a few times. And it was this complicated, clothing change on the sideline. Um, and I feel like Romando probably should have been given his shot at that once. Like they could have done that just one time. It would have been fun. Um, knowing Nick, I wonder, I wonder which, I wonder which he laments more, never winning goalkeeper of the year or never getting to play as a field player. I bet it's field player. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> think it is. Um, he's, he's definitely like the career goalkeeper. He just, Every year, he there was somebody who beat him out for the that year's award, but you could still name the goalkeeper of the year award after him, um, right? And I I wouldn't object certainly because his his MLS career is is nigh unparalleled. A um, couple other guys that that could be mentioned: Mark Simpson, the original DC United goalkeeper. Um, you can like him just for being the OG, even if you know. I mean, he he was around. Mark Simpson wore number two. <laughs> as a goalkeeper uh which i, I love him got, just for that i love him I never now got over that um, i never understood <laughs> no when he arrived i knew him as uh he had been the goalkeeper for the buffalo blizzard in uh the indoor league that the baltimore well there was a brief period of time where they were the baltimore spirit um someone bought the baltimore blast renamed them the spirit 
unlike the Washington spirit, the theme was really about ghosts. Um, <laughs> the, the logo straight up had a ghost in it. There was a man who dressed up in a like possibly homemade ghost costume um, <laughs> as the team mascot. But then the owner of the blast had run into like, basically his, his business had cut off and he, he had to sell some things. And then when he financially recovered, he bought the team back and renamed them the blast. <laughs> but uh, in and any they case, still- they still exist. Uh, but in any case, Mark Simpson was the goalkeeper for the Buffalo blizzard. And I, I was like, Oh, the, the guy from Buffalo, that makes sense because in 1996, that's where you would have found some players is, yes. Oh yeah. The guy that's the goalkeeper for the Buffalo blizzard in the, uh, the indoor league, one of the two indoor leagues that were going uh, in the nineties. Well, and before that, uh, I think I had seen him play one game for the Cincinnati Silverbacks in 1995 because he nice. was the goalkeeper for the Cincinnati Silverbacks in the indoor uh, league in 1995. But American soccer created multiple teams named the Silverbacks in multiple <laughs> cities. It wasn't just multiple Atlanta teams. There was also a Cincinnati Silverbacks. And there were multiple. Because why not? There are multiple iterations of the Silverback, Cincinnati Silverbacks in oh, different leagues as well. I mean, that's that's as that's endemic to American soccer, yeah. Uh, especially in the '90s and before. Didn't Preki come through the indoor leagues? Like he'd obviously oh, yeah. played in Europe and then came to the U.S. and played indoor, and then came to MLS and blew it up. Yeah, no, he he was signed out of the indoor leagues. Um, uh, he was one of the a bunch of guys that came up through uh, Dante Washington uh, had actually played for the Washington Warthogs uh, at one point. Uh, his teammate was Richie Burke, who's now the head coach of the spirit. And his coach was Jim Gabara, who was the previous coach of the spirit. Um, if you look up <laughs> Washington Warthogs, uh, if you want to Google their uniforms, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, basically, the pattern of a jungle, like just a jungle foliage it was the jersey print. Um, yeah, uh, American soccer was, I mean, maybe the reason why I often want things to be more weird now is that when I was coming up, it was all this weird. It was this weird everywhere all the time that you would have, you would have the Washington Warthogs and then you would go up to see either the blast or the spirit, depending on what year it was. Um, these things were just a regular occurrence in my life. It was like, yeah, we'll go see the Warthogs and then like, oh, next week, uh, the spirit season starts. So we'll go up to Baltimore instead and we'll see a man dressed as a ghost in the stands. And that's just a thing that's going to happen. I Googled the Washington Warhogs um, Jersey and my God, <laughs> it's um, awesome. the one I'm looking at, there, there are a couple of different ones on here. One yeah. of them uh, looks like it is a, a jungle print, yeah. um, like a almost, almost sublimated, green on green mm-hmm. jungle print that fades uh, as it goes up. The other one is so beyond garish. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> so their logo is a very nineties um, cartoon warthog cartoon warthog. Like think of a head on view of Pumbaa yes. from Lion King but with extra gigantic tusks. Well, and well, if they're not big, then people won't be impressed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's a green uniform, and picture a a not quite sublimated, a little more pronounced than sublimated um, version of uh, that logo, just printed in a pattern all over the jersey, very close together, uh, yes. at different angles too. Not not yep. like rows or anything, just like random angles, some of them overlapping with others. And uh, then then put the logo with warthogs written in a crazy font above it at an angle yes, very, not, very large. Not flush, not, flush, not centered, uh, not no. off to one side or the other, just sort just of trailing off. Off kilter to the left. Uh, to if you're wearing this off to your left and tilted that direction as well. And then the number uh, on the, the uniform, uh, not just on the pants and on the back, but also on the front, uh, on the right side, on your right side, but slanted to the right, to the left as you're looking at it. And then uh, almost as an homage to the idea of a sash, 
uh, hoof prints going from the right. the wearer's right shoulder down to left hip. Um, and then put what I can only assume is yellow blood smears on the shoulders or on the sleeves, not even the shoulders where the sleeves attach below the shoulders. <laughs> um, this thing is a, a, a true work of art. Yeah, that was the warthogs. That was the uh, regular experience uh, in, in my life at the time was seeing a team that that wore those uniforms play like uh, one of the teams that actually the team that always won the league was Monterey La Raza. And this was a team that was in Monterey, Mexico, that I guess FIFA was like it's indoor soccer, so we can't intervene. So they were just in in the uh, CISL, uh, the Continental Indoor Soccer League, which uh was at least an accurate name, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that was the thing that was going on. Some of the teams were like, oh, you used to play in the league that the Blast played, but when now you just don't. And it, it was, you know, probably down to arena availability. It's like, oh, we're still going to have a team. It's just, you know, now we have to play in the winter instead of during the summer. So that's when you'll play. So now you have to be in the other league that doesn't have a three-point shot because the Baltimore League did have a three-point shot. Hey, Pablo Maurer, if you're listening to this, please write a history um, of, of American indoor soccer because I need I need to read that. And I think you're the guy to write it. Um, I, one more. I don't want to put us on the hook for anything, but there is a uh, apparently a YouTube link to a full broadcast of a uh, Washington Warthogs versus Detroit Neon game from 1995. I'm putting us you on might blast. not want to put us on the hook for that, Jason, but you yeah. you very well might have. It, it's we'll a see what happens. Two, two hour thirty eight minute game. Uh, I think it's I think it's some. It looks like someone just put a bunch of Detroit indoor soccer games on because there's another one that's uh, the Indiana Twisters versus the Detroit Safari. So so at some point, uh, the Detroit Neon changed uh, to the Detroit Safari. Jason, or perhaps stop giving away all of our future content. I don't think we no, should he's watch teasing the, it. the, he's the Indiana it. Twisters at Detroit Safari game, I think is maybe not in, in our wheelhouse uh, in that it is from over there, but this one's the Warthogs. I can, I could possibly. We, we have an excuse to try. We're, we're, uh, we're cursed to watch this indoor soccer game. I think. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> DC United, please put more of your archival games online so that we don't have to do this. Um, you have the power no, to stop no. this DC United. No, not so anymore. Please, we, we are committed. <laughs> uh, I want to spoil something here. The Warthogs are wearing their away jerseys, which are also garish. <laughs> in this game, all right. Um, I already have a game plan in mind for when, not if, when we do this. So um, stay tuned. One last goalkeeper name to mention uh, that I think is of note before we get out of here is Troy Perkins. Who had two different stints at, at DC United. The first one, he was also acting as like a tax preparer or collections agent or something financially related. It was like a, uh, a loan agent? Loan agent. He was selling loans. Yeah, yeah, he was doing something in the financial sector while he was winning goalkeeper of the year for but, DC United. Yeah. Which was an uh, upgrade because like, his first job as a side job was working for um, Galleon's sports store. Yeah, uh, but then he upgraded to loan agent or whatever it was. Yeah, so Troy I Perkins. I remember his 2010 season. Well, this was before that. Uh, this was before he went to was it Norway or Sweden? He went. He went over Norway. to Scandinavia. Norway. Norway came back. Um, so he uh, he he'd won MLS Goalkeeper of the Year while moonlighting, uh, and and then very reasonably found a contract in Europe that paid him more money, went over there. Uh, I, I think his family got homesick, wanted to come back. The Philadelphia Union, who had just come into the league, had his rights. And Peter Novak, who had, I think, coached him here in D.C., was in charge of Philly. And Peter Novak is a name that deserves a whole like limited run podcast series just about him. Um for good or ill. Um, but he held DC United over a barrel because there was not a good goalkeeper in on DC United's roster at that point. And so, well, there the team, was, I mean, not he just didn't have any playing experience yet. 18, 
Yeah, he 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 was uh, the team's first homegrown signing, and nothing more at that point. Um, thankfully, he turned into a lot more. Um, but but Bill Hamid was not yet ready to open the season, so DC United overpaid for Troy Perkins, who did not work out in his second stint. So, um, but but the story of him isn't moonlighting while winning goalkeeper of the year. I think is worth mentioning uh, in this segment, and that completes the list of names that I had written down as worth talking about. So sorry if you're a listener to this and you've played goalkeeper for DC United and, and didn't get mentioned. Email us, yell at us. Filibusterpodcast at gmail.com is where you can do that. Thank you all for listening. Um, download, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, uh, at black and red U for the website. Uh, mostly though, just tell a friend about the show. Um, you're not going to see them at a tailgate or at a bar. Uh, you're hopefully not going to be going over to their house because social distancing is important. Um, don't, this, this is not a snow day to, to steal from a popular post that's going around, treat this seriously and we can beat this disease. Uh, but you know, when you're Skyping with your friends, uh, tell them about the show. That's, that's, a really good thing you can Skype do for us. Adam, really? You know what, Ben? <laughs> uh, I, I think that's, that's everything. So for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Oh, actually, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt myself and you and uh, tell our listeners that they should, if they haven't yet go back and listen to last week's show, which I was not on. Uh, Ben and Jason interviewed Ben Olson, DC United head coach, and it's a it's a great listen. It's it's well worth your time. So, kudos to both of you, and go listen to that now. Jason, say goodbye. Go Warthogs.